Welcome to everybody joining us both in the room and joining us online. We're so glad to share this time with you and hope that uh, you come to see God differently as a result of us spending this time together. That God is not some um, cruel dictator or big ogre that's wanting to control our lives, but rather a loving father who, who wants to walk alongside and cheer us on. Uh, in, in the journey of life. So we're in a series called The Greatest Return. We've reached a tipping point. We're well over halfway now through this book of 1 Thessalonians and we're considering the greatest return of all, which is the return of Christ. And uh, Stephen Covey, a business expert, rightly suggests that we ought to start everything in life by beginning with the end in mind. And it's as we do this that return hope comes to the fore as being a significant thing. Last week, for example, we talked about sexual purity. Now, that doesn't matter if you take away return hope. You might as well act like an animal. You might as well be a sexual deviant. You might as well just go crazy in that space if there's not a day of reckoning coming, if we're not accountable to God at all. But because of return hope, it, it makes us check that and we go, well, hang on, if I've got to be answerable for the way I live my life, then that certainly does matter. So whilst throughout this book we're zooming around all different topics and subjects, the umbrella sitting above them all is this idea that we will um, give account of our lives to God. And we, we do live with this great sense of anticipation that Jesus is coming again, King Jesus. And we want to live our lives in such a way to be in alignment with him so that when he comes, we, uh, we, we look forward to that as our greatest hope. And so this week, and we're looking at this theme, how to be winsome as we reach the middle of chapter four. So if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. If you're following along an electronic device, you can open up the YouVersion app and you'll find the notes to the sermon there. How to be winsome. So we reach a, a stage in this book about our relationships with others and, and as particularly through the lens of those outside of faith. How can we live in such a way to get their respect? And again, I would say if there's no afterlife, then this doesn't matter. If there's no day of reckoning, if there's no return hope to think about, then make life all about you. I mean, just adopt the value that whoever dies with the most toys wins because this life is all there is. But no, with return hope, we realise how we, how we act, how we behave, how we treat others matters profoundly. And we want to live in such a way that reflects the love of Jesus to those that live next door. It does matter how I live. I will stand before God one day and give account of my life and my relationships. So in that spirit, let's read together. How do we win some? Reading 1 Thessalonians 4, picking it up at verse 9, it says this. We don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you how to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your own hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you'll not need to depend on others. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. How to be winsome. I know a secret that's true of you because it's true of me too. 
we all like to be liked. We want to be respected. We want to be well thought of. No one wants to be disrespected if that's the alternative. And here, the scripture provides us with clues how we can garner the respect. But it's not just about, say, we walk away with a full bucket, feeling good about ourselves that we're well liked. No, it's far more critical than that. It's in view here is the wider church community having the respect of the, those outside their walls where the community looking on at any given church would say, I'm not yet sure about your God, but I am sure about you. I'm not sure about your God. I'm not sure whether he's real, but I'm certainly sure you are real. You are genuine. You are a good person. You are a person worthy of respect. That's really what this passage is delving into. And for the person who lays outside the doors of the church to say, if I ever were to enter in, and it's a big if at this point in time, but if I ever were to enter in, I would go there where those people are respected. How would we be a people that the community would look on and say such comments about? Well, there's three key drivers, I think, in our text that we see this weekend, how we could be an esteemed people. But please note, it's not about our own personal affirmation here. This is not, not that, that we, we're aiming to get this kind of esteem ourselves, but it's rather that the name of Jesus might be uplifted in our community. If we were people who love deeply, are unassuming and hardworking, these three attributes together go a long way towards sparking Christian witness. And it's interesting to me that out of all the books on the market today as far as how to build a healthy, growing, significant church, I don't think these things really rate a mention. But God says they matter. They're in verses 9 to 11 of our reading. And they drive Christian witness. So I'm going to take liberty to put Australian slang around them this weekend and say them like this. You'll be winsome when you give your heart away, when you pull your head in, and when you get your hands dirty. So that's our three ideas here. Give your heart away, pull your head in, get your hands dirty. This is the rough and tumble as Aussie slang version of 1 Thessalonians 4. Love deeply, mind your own business and work hard. For any group of Christ followers wanting to have a missional impact on their community, all these three matter. And herein, two out of three isn't enough. You can say, well, we really love people, but if you're lazy, you won't be respected. And on the other hand, you might be really, really, really hardworking, but if you don't care for people, you won't be respected. All these three things belong together. And what I love about the Bible is these three core attributes then are not just about our Christian witness in, in the church box. Take these three attributes anywhere and they'll hold you in good stead. In your sporting clubs, in your workplace, in your schools, wherever you are, take these three traits with you and life will be better. So let's explore them by rereading verse 9 and 10, where this church gets affirmed for the amazing way that they show their love, but there's no need for complacency when it comes to love. Go hard. It's funny to me in verse 9, they kind of get an A plus to say, hey, you're doing so well in the way you're loving and treating and respecting one another, but go even harder, grow further in this. <clears throat> says we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other for God himself has taught you. Indeed, you already show this love, but we urge you to love even more. 
We urge you. This is of serious importance. This is urgent. If you want to be winsome, keep your love growing and you will earn the respect of outsiders. Continue to pour extravagant love out just as you've begun doing. And this to me seems to be the positive side of the ledger to the negative stuff that we covered last weekend, which was all about sexual purity. And if you go back in this chapter, you find this warning about, hey, don't steal your neighbour's wife because that would be to dishonour your neighbour. And I just wonder if this church, in their quest then to be sexually pure, had kind of come cold towards one another, you know, so distanced because they're trying to be pure and holy and distinctive. But of course, whenever we react, we overreact. And Paul's just reminding them, hey, in your quest for purity, uh, you know, you don't you want to stop stealing hugs with ulterior motives in the church family, but then don't get so paranoid about purity that you actually get cold towards one another. Stay warm-hearted while staying pure-hearted. One of the best things about being involved in a church family if I can say it like this, is the non-sexual affection that can be present. The non-sexual affection that can be present in, in a church community. And it's one of the things that's really missing in this COVID season as we kind of face government restrictions and we're not allowed to touch one another, etc. It's really, really hard. Now, I'm not talking here about people that are creepy who just like to come close because they're sort of drawing kicks out of it. I'm talking about a pure-hearted embrace from a Christian brother or sister. There's something sweet about that that's just beautiful. And it's missing in this current season of COVID restrictions. And we've got a challenge on how we can still have this feeling like a, a loving environment whilst we've kind of got these restrictions around us at the moment that are keeping things feeling a bit sterile. There's a missing dynamic. Let's just acknowledge that. Now, some people say, well, the introverts are loving it. Well, I'm an introvert, but I can't say I'm loving this part about it. There's something definitely missing in our environment right now. And it's challenging, but we're called by God to follow the law. And many of us would think that some of these laws at the present time are a little bit silly, a little bit over the top, but they're there and we operate under them even though it's challenging. I still want to believe that genuine love can permeate even beyond such restrictions. And we will get through this and things will be different one day soon. But I remind you that maintaining love towards one another is always a challenge. We've got some challenges at the moment, but let's not be kind of fooled into thinking this is the only challenge we've got when it comes to maintaining love. Humans are humans, and over time, we tire of each other's humanity, and it becomes difficult to feel warm and fuzzy about people in the family. Over time, through the rough and tumble of life, the shine wears off. And uh, we see flaws. And giving our heart away seems like a very, very risky thing to do. Here's how relationship cycles normally transpire. Now, I touched on this earlier in the year, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this this weekend. Just to remind you, this is how it can work. Like, dislike, love. Like, dislike, love. Let me remind you how this works. In the first place, like gets mistaken as love. We use terminology in our culture. Oh, that couple fell in love. 
Well, actually, they didn't. They fell in like. They, they thought they fell in love, but it's premature in the early days to call that love. But how's this work? It works where Sally meets Harry, and she thinks he's the most wonderful human ever. He is amazing with a capital A. But to cut a long story short, the shine wears off. It might take six months, it might take six years, but the more Sally gets to know Harry, the more she realises he's not the most wonderful man in the world after all. He's got faults just like everybody else. And what was first compelling that this was the most perfect human ever, uh, Sally married Harry under false pretenses and after the honeymoon she begins to see all of Harry's selfishness. And guess what? The feeling's mutual. <laughs> she begins to see his imperfections and likewise he hers. They thought it was love, but really it was only like. Hence like can become dislike. And this is a critical stage in a relationship where we kind of hit a wall. And we're not talking here just about romantic relationships, we're talking about any relationships, whether it's sport or work or school. It inevitably happens when people get closer and you begin to see their flaws, you've got a choice to make. What now? They weren't who I thought they were. I might get my lovely wife up to illustrate this point at this would be a good venture. I told her about this a minute before I started so she didn't have opportunity to opt out. So can't keep coming over here. So if you could just hold that on your shoulders there and just move forward a little. And I just want you to just swing in the breeze, like just move backwards and forwards. Just, just really slow. Just really slow. So what happens when I first get to meet Yvonne is I think she is amazing, and she is. But as we spend more time and I get closer to her and I get more and more familiar to her, things that I didn't notice previously start to what? Keep swinging, you stop swinging. <laughs> they start to knock into me. It's like, well, that doesn't feel very comfortable. What are you doing then? Well, was that always there? It was. It actually was. I just never noticed it because I hadn't come close enough yet until it began to affect me and intrude on my space. What we often don't realise is I've got one of these going on as well. <laughs> and the same thing happens for Yvonne as she steps closer into my life. She realises, hey, we keep crashing and banging into each other. And here's, here's what we get fooled into thinking. Oh, you know, this person I married was the wrong person or this, this boss I've got is the wrong boss. When in actuality, the, the issue was always there. I've got issues. You've got issues. <laughs> We've all got issues. We're humans. And whenever we come close to each other, it becomes a bit of a dance to make sure we don't kill each other in the process <laughs> because this is what it means to do relationship. So like becomes dislike as we realise, hey, this person's got some pointy edges on them and I'm not sure I like them. That's starting to intrude on my space. Then I have a choice. Am I going to cut this person out of my life? Or am I actually going to begin to learn love? Love. This is when love actually kicks in. And this is when love is actually love. When the woozy attraction is all gone and I get to 
choose. Now I realise how flawed this person is. Now what? Will I love, despite all the flaws that have come into view for both of us? This isn't an Yvonne thing. This isn't a Jono thing. This is a human thing. As we come close to, to others, we see the flaws. And this is the kind of love that's going on at Thessalonica, a love that has gone beyond the kind of normal checkout points for humanity because the word used, I feel confident in saying this about this particular church, they had godly love because the word used here is agape, which is God's love, a selfless love, a giving love, and it says it already exists in their midst. A love that defies logic, a love that's Holy Spirit driven. This happened in this church and it makes them gain the respect of those outside. Next point here is interesting in terms of how to be winsome. We've said give your heart away. Next point, pull your head in. Now this is interesting, but it's also a key factor in gaining respect of those outside the church. Don't be a busybody. And don't use the excuse, well, it's just really that I care. I need to know all the details. No, you don't need to know all the details. And one thing that must grieve the heart of God is when people in churches get together and under the guise of prayer meeting, talk about one another in a way that's negative and critical. The story goes that three pastors went out fishing for the day. They're a long way offshore. And throughout the course of the hours spent together, they got more and more and more comfortable sharing with each other. And the level of vulnerability really, really grew over the course of the day. It wasn't their first time fishing together. In fact, they were getting really, really familiar with each other this particular day. And, and, and towards the end of the time, they thought they would share deeply about the issues that are going on in their life and they could pray for one another. So off went the first pastor. This is deep. He said, I've got a problem with porn. I really need your support and prayer because I can't seem to, to get this under control. And that, that's a very, very serious problem for anyone, but for a church leader, absolutely matters. Well, the next guy shared he's got a problem with managing his tax affairs and he's been deceitful and he's been essentially robbing the government and he admits that you know he's been living a scam and... Yeah, this is very, very serious as well. So two out of three have shared. Then this final guy that hasn't yet shared said, well, the thing I would like prayer for is I've got a problem with gossip. <laughs> <laughs> so those two other guys all of a sudden felt uncomfortable. <laughs> Give your heart away. Love deeply. Well, but... What if people use it against me? And, and how will I know when to honour someone's privacy? How, how will I know when it's time to pull my head in? Well, this will complement your ability to love deeply if you know when it's time to pull back and give people their own personal space. But if I'm involved in their lives, I need to know the details in order to pray. No, you don't. Not always. We don't need every detail. There's an element of wisdom here that we need to know when it's time to step back. Don't miss the headline, it's this. Me being a town gossip will do nothing for the cause of Jesus. Me being the town gossip will do nothing for the cause of Jesus. 
I need to be a person who knows when it's my time to keep my nose out of people's business. It's not just a good thing to mind your own business. It's more than that, the Bible says here. It's a godly thing. It's not just a good thing. It's a godly thing. Verse 11 says so. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your own hands, just as we instructed you. Paul's saying to these young believers and re-emphasizing the point, hey, we've spoken about this before. We're going to go there again. Make it your business to mind your own business, to keep your nose out of things that don't pertain to you. This is a godly thing. This is a godly ambition. Are you, a, are you an ambitious person? Well, here's a godly ambition. Learn to mind your own business. There is a, there is a godly aspiration here to follow through. And we ought not to have an unhealthy appetite about knowing everything about everything. Here's the unexpected thing, though. Our Christian witness depends on it. I wonder if many of us have ever attributed this to being influential outside church. But this is what the Bible is saying to us here. The indication here is huge. God makes this connection even if we haven't. Gaining the respect of those outside is partly this, minding our own business. Can you spot a problem here? Because I can. When you put love deeply and mind your own business together, how does that work? It's kind of a bit of a seesaw, isn't it? How can I love deeply and mind my own business? I mean, they, those kind of contradict, don't they? Well, yep, they do. There is a tension here. How do I know when to step in? And how do I know when to pull back? How do I know when to step into a situation? And how do I know when to just step back? This feels like a no-win situation and there'll be times where you'll be um, perhaps accused as being a busybody if you do get involved in the situation and there'll be times where you get an accusation you didn't care enough when you step back. We need a whole lot of wisdom here. But if we love deeply, if our love is genuine, when we do step in, we're, we're more likely going to be taken seriously rather than the person who's here to get the latest goss will be seen as the person here who's trying to help. But we have no right sticking our nose in other people's business when it's unwelcome. But this is a difficult dynamic to manage. There'll be always more need than there is time. And anyone working with people will know that. And we need great discernment when to know this is my time to go and this is my time to just stand back and pray and watch God come to the rescue here because we can't save anybody. We, we only have enough time to invest where God actually calls us to be involved and we desperately, desperately need God's leading on the matter. Give your heart away. Pull your head in. Finally, Get your hands dirty. A bit of a theme throughout this book is develop a good work ethic. It comes up on more than one occasion. And by the time we get to the second book of Thessalonians, the same group of people, but the, the follow-up letter, the, they get an even further scolding when it comes to this whole arena of working hard. It's not hard to detect why. For a people so heavenly-minded, 
they've lost sight of the practicalities around their life. They're kind of out the backyard on the banana lounge looking up at the clouds going, maybe today, maybe in this hour, Jesus is going to come again. Well, isn't your car registration due in February? Yeah, but that doesn't matter. That's four or five months away. Oh, I won't be here then. I'm just looking for Jesus to come again. This is the kind of heavenly space that they're living in. Return for them had come so real. They've stopped working. They've stopped paying the bills. Everything about this present life was meaningless. And the here and now was their only priority. Paying bills was not a priority. Future savings was not a priority. Financial responsibility all around was no priority to them. Because if this is my last day on earth, who cares about the car registration in February? They were so short-sighted, obsessed with return. And we get a sense that Paul, their mentor, is losing patience with them on this front. And in the backup letter, 2 Thessalonians, we strike this. You ready? Those unwilling to work should not eat. Those unwilling to work should not eat. Now, whoops, Daisy, that's pretty intense when you stop to think about it. Stop watering that plant, Paul says. What's, what happens when you stop eating? Your shrivel up and die. Yep, that's what they deserve. This is harsh, yeah? Stop watering that plant. Anyone who's not willing to work should stop eating. That's serious. But you know why it's serious? Because their laziness was affecting their ability to shine the light of Jesus to anybody else. Nobody was taking them seriously. Their friends and family outside of faith weren't taking this gospel message seriously, coming from them while they're sitting on the couch all day and then wondering where their next meal was coming from. And this is a glaring weakness in the life of this church. And Paul's running out of patience with them in this area, and it's why he's getting sharp. Hey, lazy bones, you should stop eating and see how that works for you. Now, before you want to start throwing things at me, just remember it was Paul saying this, not me. I'm just repeating what was written here. But if you feel really angered by the statement, I think you missed the point. I think you missed the key word. Unwilling was the key word there, not unable. There's a difference. Those unwilling to work, not those unable to work. Those unwilling, those unwilling, those unwilling, I'm re-emphasising to make it clear. Those who are just lazing around, being slothful, do what? Destroy Christian witness. This is a strong correction, but it was a serious flaw in this church. We get the vibe, they're a bunch of lazy bones and they needed to know this matters. Sponging off family and friends to get by was not making them winsome, was not earning the respect of anybody. In fact, they were losing respect because of this. They weren't contributing to society at all. They were takers and not givers. It undermined completely their gospel message. And that's why Paul reminds them over and over that get into work mode, church. I worked hard when I was with you. I gave you an example. Now you do the same. And then he says in verse 12, then after doing that, those who are not yet believers will begin respecting you. Then when you start working hard, hinting at the fact that in the present moment, they're losing respect and losing it quick smart because of their laziness. 
So under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul scolds him. Like, depending on everybody else here next meal is not a godly way to live. Earn your keep. And I love in verse 11 the practical, literal nature of the instruction. He says, work with your own hands. He actually uses the word hands, like those things on the end of your arms, they're called hands and you're supposed to be busy with them. You're supposed to use them. They're not just playing for Xbox on the computer all day. Now get your hands to work. Those unwilling to do this are out of step with the Lord. Now, again, a ton of wisdom is needed whenever we apply the scriptures because 2,000 years on, you might have the opposite problem. You might not be the person with your hands out for freebies from everybody else. You might be the person who's never, ever asked for help. You're too proud to do that. And your development area might be vulnerability and you actually need to ask for help because there's times in life where we all struggle and need to ask for assistance. But if we are the person who's just sitting back, lazing away, expecting everybody else to hand stuff into our hands, we are out of step with God. We are out of step with God. The church who gets respected will be hard working. The normal operating mode for a Christ follower is head down, tail up. We find it in verse 11 and 12. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your own hands, just as we instructed you before. Then, 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 when you get this sorted, people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you'll not need to depend on everybody else. The usual posture for a person following Jesus is a hard-working posture. A fit-bodied individual who can work, should work, uh, and they have no business laying around on the couch and depending on everybody else to provide for their needs. Paul calls the bluff of this church and says, stop using the excuse of I'm just waiting for heaven. Don't spiritualise that which isn't spiritual. You're being lazy. And he says, get on with your work or you'll never earn the respect of those outside the family of God. The church needed to understand they were losing gospel traction because of their unmotivated way of living. Instead, they should earn their own way, carry their own load, work hard. God's desire for his church is that we would live influential lives, that we would bear these attributes in our, in our everyday walk. Give your heart away. Pull your head in. Get your hands dirty. I invite you to stand for prayer as we close out. And here's the question for you to be processing in this moment. Scott, what is your message for me tonight? Holy Spirit, what is your message for me in this moment? What, what is your message as we meditate on your words? We think about these instructions you gave us, how to be winsome, how to be influential in the way we live our lives. What, what is it for me that I need to develop in? What is God's message to you in this moment? Take a quiet moment. Just ask that. Lord, what is your message for me?
this moment, I'd pray for healing in relationships that have hit a stalemate and for love to break through. And we're praying for discernment for those who would love to come alongside and help somebody but aren't sure how to. Is it time to step in or step back? Holy Spirit, guide those people. Guide those decisions. Lead us in your ways, Lord. For those who are with us online or here with us this weekend who need a breakthrough in the job space, in career, we pray for that breakthrough in Jesus' name that new opportunities would open up, that new callings would be discovered, that we would be a people who know that you, God, give us all a significant role in your kingdom. And we want to embrace that. So lead us into that. Open it up. Show us what that looks like. And may we be found walking in obedience to you. In Jesus' name.